0: on your handout it's from the book of Romans chapter 12 if you don't have a Bible um, you can get one for free at the back table the book table over there you can check out a book um, but you can just grab a Bible for free back there if you want one or you know a friend that needs one um, uh, I, I love the office season three of the office is probably the greatest moment in television history Um. And uh, I, I think that many of us connect with Jim Halpert. I, I feel like we're like, intended to connect with Jim. I don't really know why. Um, because Jim is a real jerk, if you really think about it. Jim is a not nice person. Um, and I connect with not nice people. And, uh, but Jim, I think part of what we connect with about Jim is that Jim has a real sense that like, his life and his work are completely purposeless and meaningless, Right? And he is sort of undone by the 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 meaningless toil of his job, Um, and he longs for you know as you know if you get toward the end of the series longs for a career and a life that's full of purpose right and and authenticity where he can be who he really is and thrive, and uh, and in that way we're all like Jim, like we all want to do work and have. Relationships and friendships, and be able to live our life in a way that is full of purpose in a way that we can feel really authentic about what we are doing that like we're actually engaging our, our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies in a way um, that that really does have purpose and, and authenticity and uh, that's here I think that's true of everyone here tonight, whether you're here and you're uh, a believer uh, in the Lord Jesus or not or you're trying to figure it out we all want to live authentic and purposeful lives. And life as a follower of Jesus, and this is what I want to explore together this the rest of the semester, I believe that that life as a follower of Jesus is beautiful in that way. That it is very purposeful and allows us to live with a sense of authenticity and consistency in our lives. And so whether you're here tonight and you're a Christian or not, I think that considering what does it look like To follow Jesus is worth uh, all of our consideration. So we're going to work together. It's going to be the same passage on the handout every week for the rest of the semester. And we're going to work through it bit by bit and see what does this life look like in Christ. So we're going to read here. We're just going to read the first two verses. The book of Romans is called Romans because a guy named Paul, who was a leader in the early church, right after the death and resurrection of Jesus, wrote letters to various local churches. They're real places. They're not just like... Some people as actual people living in Rome who were Christians, and he was writing to them to the church there in Rome. And this is what he says in chapter 12. He's just been spending all the first 11 chapters talking about how God makes us right with him. And then he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, we read this, uh, this text because um, uh, we believe that it's God's word. And uh, since it's God's word, we need God's help to understand it. So uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we, we acknowledge that we're coming from lots of different places, as always, tonight. And, uh, Lord, some of us are eager to hear what you have to say. Some of us are suspicious. Some of us are resentful. Some of us, uh, as, as Noah helped us to see, uh, Lord, have anger um, that because we feel out of control. Lord, some of us have deep sadness because we've lost um, someone. Some, some of us are, are, are confused. Um, many of us are skeptical. And, Lord, many of us are hopeful. And Lord, you know where each of us are because you created each of us in your image and you care for us. And so Lord, we ask now that wherever we are, that you would meet with us through your word that we would see Jesus and that we would see that he's beautiful and we would follow him, we pray in his name, amen. So uh, I'm an appreciator of memes, Um, part of the reason why me and Colin Jewell have such a tight relationship, we're (laughs) appreciators of memes. And uh, one, one of the oldest memes that I saw was like before a meme was a thing. Was there was this woodcut print of the the Roman Colosseum, and there were in the middle of it these Christian uh, folks—men, women, children, older folks, younger folks—and they were there on the floor of the Colosseum, and they were letting out lions out into the Colosseum because uh, there was a time around 65 AD where Christians were persecuted in uh, in Rome and uh, they were, they, it was someone it was a historical drawing of Christians uh, they were letting lions out onto them in the Colosseum and underneath it it said God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life i <laughs> um, not sure if you've ever heard that it's like some kind of saying that's it's, it's said in, in Christian circles and, uh, and, and on one hand it's really funny because of the, the irony and, and on the other hand um, we come to a passage like this and we go okay What is it like to follow God? What does God want from me? Uh, How does he want me to engage with him? And the first thing that Paul tells us about following God is he says, Hey, present yourself as a sacrifice to God. And in some ways it feels like that. Like God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. And now I'm supposed to offer myself as some kind of sacrifice that I'm supposed to like give myself completely over to God in this total act of surrender and just allow him to do whatever it is that he wants to do. And I want to explore that a little bit tonight and see why would God ask that of us? I I don't think that we tend to think that following God or being spiritual or um, having something at the center of our life uh, involves us being a sacrifice. Why would God ask this of us? And the first reason I, I think is this, and this is, I think, really crucial for us to understand when it comes to following God or just living our lives in general, is that we're already doing that. You are already presenting yourself to something or someone as a sacrifice. That You're giving yourself, surrendering yourself over to something. Uh, There's a great songwriter, his name is Bob Dylan, and uh, he had this phase in his career, this Christian phase, and uh, his music is all amazing. But he wrote some of the most poignant Christian music um, uh, ever, and he has a song called uh, Gotta Serve Somebody. And I want to read, he he really hits this on the head. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop, you may know how to cut hair, you may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir, might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk, you might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread, you may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king sized bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody, well, it might be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And I think Dylan hits it on the head. We don't just engage with things in our lives as options for us. But we actually give ourselves body and soul and mind to the things in our lives and we serve them. And my question is, as we begin, is who or what is it that you are serving? What are you giving yourself to? And what I mean is that we present ourselves as a sacrifice to something so that, as Paul says here, that we will be found acceptable he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and the word there is for brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We're giving ourselves to something so that something will tell us that we are acceptable. The word can also mean well-pleasing. We give ourselves to things so that we will hear from that thing or from ourselves that I'm good enough, that I'm acceptable, that it's okay. And that could be grades, it could be a cause, could be a significant other, or could be your parents, but we give ourselves to these things, our thoughts, our time, our money, our desires, our imagination. And I think about this when I, I talk to many of you, and you, many of you have been told, as I was, uh, throughout your life that you are a really exceptional person, and that you have so many gifts, and that you're going to do something very special. And let me tell you, people will always respond to gifts. People will always affirm, when someone sees that you're gifted, someone's going to come along and say, hey, I see that gift, and it's really great, you're going to do something special. But since you've been hearing so long that you're special and that you're going to do something, you've been trying to work those gifts into that outcome, right? You've been trying to develop that gift so much that we don't do the thing that we really have to do in order to make an impact, is we have to be developed as people, like people Our souls and our character has to be developed. Uh, Gifts happen. Gifts you can get good at, a gift you can home, but a person is something that has to be developed over their lives. And so what happens is you feel like a failure because you know you have the gifts and you know you're not doing everything that you could be doing with those gifts. And you feel like a failure and you're 20 years old. You know? And you feel like... Uh, you know, you despair then. You're like, if I had these gifts and I'm not accomplishing something, I'm in the best years of my life, what am I supposed to do? And you despair and then you work harder to try and hone the gift. And then you despair because you're not meeting the standard. And I'm convinced that's why we drink more than we should. And I'm convinced that that's why we watch TV more than we should. Um, It's because we're giving ourselves to something so that we can be told by others that I'm acceptable and that I'm well-pleasing. And I want to tell you some good news. And that's that presenting yourself as a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice, as Paul says, is totally different than that. It's not giving yourself body and soul to something so that that thing will tell you that it's finally good enough. Presenting yourself as a sacrifice to God um, is a response to the fact that God says that you are already acceptable to him. We are dying to become acceptable to the world around us. For someone to tell us that we're okay and well-pleasing. But Jesus died for you to become acceptable to God. You're dying to become acceptable, and Jesus died for you to become acceptable to God. Because look at what Paul says. He says, by the mercies of God. He's saying, "I'm, I'm appealing to you by the mercies, through the mercies, in view of God's mercy. The fact that you've already received God's mercy now... I want you to become a living sacrifice, to give yourself. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you to receive what God has done for you in Jesus, which is he is a living sacrifice. At the cross, the Lord Jesus took our failure on himself and gave us his success so that we are found well-pleasing. If you know Jesus, what God says to you is, well done. You are acceptable. I am pleased in you. And what God is saying to us in this passage is to imitate back to God the thing that he's already done. God never, ever, ever calls you to do something that he hasn't either already done on your behalf or gives you every tool that you need to do it already. Jesus is the living sacrifice that makes us acceptable. And therefore, in that, we move from out of freedom to giving ourselves wholly to God. And that's why and this is a struggle, but my my wife and I we work hard to apologize to our children even when we haven't done something wrong. Because what we're trying to tell our kids is you know, I can tell you that I'm sorry even when I'm not at fault because Jesus took the blame for something that he never did for me to give me freedom. And we imitate it to our kids and pray that in that imitation that they will believe that that's true about Jesus. That he allows himself to be blamed so that we can be found acceptable. So we're imitating back to God what he's already done for us in Jesus. So much of what, what scares me, I grew up in the South and I wasn't in the church, but I knew stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I kind of had an idea of like what they talk about in there. And uh, what I heard and a lot of what you have heard is what I would call something that inoculates you against the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And you know what an inoculation is, right? Like you, get, you get just enough of the disease so that you don't actually get the disease, right? The flu shot is like a dead form of the virus so that you build up antibodies to the real thing. So much of us have heard just enough about Jesus that we're inoculated against Jesus. Because what we've heard is if you come and you dress this way, you say these things, you live this way, you walk this way, you talk to these kind of people, you read these books, you do these things with your time, you do these things with your money, then you will be acceptable to God. And, and, and Paul is telling us here, that it's, it's all backwards. Jesus has done everything for you to allow you now to live in freedom for him. And that's why Paul says in, in the second verse, he says, do not be conformed to this world. What he means there, the word, when he's saying conformed, what he's saying is that the world, when he says the world, he doesn't mean like physical stuff, like trees and all that. That stuff's all good. That stuff that God's made. But when he says the world, that means a state of mind, a way of doing life without God. And he's saying that the world is not this neutral place where you can just do your life one way or the other. The world is actually forming you to a shape. That it wants you to look like its image, which is a life without God. And that's when we we respond merely to our surroundings, but we don't respond to God's voice. The world actively forms us. This is part of what I... There's so much to love and to to dig into with with Black Panther, but part of what I really really appreciated about Black Panther, if if you've seen it, and this isn't going to ruin anything for you, I don't think, but T'Challa and Killmonger as, as two people are formed by their worlds. They, they have been conformed to the image of the world that they know. T'Challa in Wakanda. Um, excellence, pride, something to be protected, something of value that should be, that should be kept and held um, in protection. And then Killmonger, growing, growing up in Oakland, understanding the oppression that his people are going through, wanting to take that oppression back to the people that he has oppressed. They both have much to learn from each other, and I really appreciate how, Kill, uh, how T'Challa's world is, is, is shaped in, in a beautiful way by his encounter with Killmonger. But they've both been shaped and, and, and put into the image, conformed, if you will, to their worlds, but in different ways. Um, and, and what Paul's saying is don't be conformed to the image of this world. A lot of y'all are, are currently playing Fortnite, I understand. Um, I am old. I have not played Fortnite, but it sounds awesome. And Noah Garinger invited me over to play. I'm going to take him up on that soon. Um, and, uh, but my understanding about Fortnite, if you don't know, it's a game where there's like 100 people and at the end there's only one or two or four or 20. Um, uh, is my understanding, that's correct. But as you play, the map that you're playing on actually gets smaller and smaller, right? The fringes move away. And you only have so much room to play. And being conformed to the image of the world is kind of like that. When you're conformed to the image of the world, actually your world becomes smaller and smaller. The room that you have to play in becomes smaller and smaller. Think about it like this. Some of y'all are really passionate about the community that we live in and about society. You're passionate about policy making. You're passionate about politics. You want to make a difference. And that's a beautiful desire. And I want you to hear me affirming that desire, that, that is part of God's image in us that helps us, that makes us want to move out into the world and make a difference. Um, but the, 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 the world has a mold for you for that. And that mold basically looks like you've got to, sum- to matter, and you have to succeed in winning to have significance at the political or the policy level. What it means to be in politics is to succeed, And what happens then, as as you get pressed into the world's mold in that way, you lose that beautiful, expansive map of making a difference. And you become, the map shrinks more and more and more because it eventually becomes about you earning significance or differentiating yourself from others. Because you can't earn significance, you can't go out there and get significance. Significance is something that is given to you by God, you can't earn dignity. God gives it to you. You can't earn an identity. You can't make an identity. God gives it to you, and you can't earn significance. But this beautiful thing happens, and sometimes you see it in people, is that when they actually give themselves to God, and they give that care to want to make a difference to God, um, and they make themselves disposable to him, the map begins to get bigger and expand, and that you can work for others in joy and actually move out to people and say, I don't need anything from you. Can I serve you? Can I learn from you? Because Jesus said this. He said, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. That's the way to lose it. If you actively try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lay down your life for him and give it to him, then you will keep it forever. God calls us to give ourselves completely to him Not so that we will die, but so that we will live. He says, offer yourselves by God's mercy as a living sacrifice. Something that will live forever to God. But we can't hold anything back. Because when part of you is not available to God and his purposes, it's not as if the other part is just waiting back here looking for somewhere to go. The other part of you is actively engaged in sacrificing for something else. We, we're never neutral in our hearts. And my question for you is, don't you long for a purpose that is big enough for all of you? A purpose that you could give your whole body and your dreams and your time and your energy and your minds and, and your love, that you could give it to that purpose and following God, knowing God is that purpose and, and, and he's offering it to us tonight. He says, I urge you, just res- come to me by my mercy and give everything away. It'll cost you nothing but everything. And I'll give you life. And, and, and where do we start? He says right at the end of the passage, uh, if you're here and you're hearing that, and you're like, okay, that's interesting. That that, that, feels, that feels good. How do I do that? This is where Paul says to start. He says in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what is the will of God. What he's saying is, allow yourself, because I would think he would say, don't be conformed to the image of the world, but be conformed to God. What he says is, don't be conformed, but allow yourself to be transformed by letting your mind be renewed. The things that you dwell on in your mind really matter. They matter way more than you think that they matter. Because 99% of the stuff that you're thinking about, you never even realized that you were thinking about it. But you were dwelling on it again and again. Y'all think about yourselves, honestly, and so do I, but I hear it most days from y'all. And you think, like, this is just how it is. This is just who I am. This is what I struggle with. These are my issues. These are always going to be my issues. And you know what? They pretty much define who I am. I can't do that thing because if you knew, you know, what I've been through or what what my shortcomings are. But God is telling you right here, he's saying, look, um, test how I've called you to live. He says, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying, look, try out following me. The thing that you feel like I can't do that, I have this sin, I have this issue, it's preventing me. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to, instead of dwelling on what you can't do and who you aren't, I want you to step out into what I've called you to do and see if it's good and true and perfect and acceptable. You'll find that it's good. Again, God's never going to call you to something and then pull out the rug from you. He's never going to do that. He says, step out, test it. He's essentially saying, test me and see whether or not I am Good. Whose voice are you listening to? Who are you going to serve? Um, I, I, some, one of the mistakes that we make in the church is that we, we do this thing where we're like, you know, what's normative and what people do when they are Christians is that they get married and they whatever, you know, like they have this kind of family and they basically just ignore all people that are younger than them or older than them and they just do their family, right? And so I don't want to do that. I don't want to give that impression. But I will just say from my experience, in, in 2007, I I met my wife, Sarah Jane, and uh, I was like, I appreciated Noah's sharing, because I was like, I was right there. I was like a mess. I'm, not, I'm not, It's not like I'm the preacher mess. I was like a real big-time mess, you know? Like, well, I don't want to just like tell her everything at first, because she'll definitely not want to go out with me again. Because um, it's not like I did some stuff in the past, but like I did some stuff in the past month, you know? And um, when I met her... At first what was in my mind was the things that I was struggling with or I felt like were inhibiting me from being who I would want to be. And then when I met her, I honestly just surrendered all that crap. I was like, this person, like, I don't care about that stuff that was inhibiting me before. Because it's gonna stop me from being with this person and she is she's a lot better than all that crap. And it wasn't it didn't look like me just like changing my life. I just said, I just I just gave up. I honestly, legitimately just gave up. And I said, whatever you think, (laughs) um, I'll go wherever you go. And and, and whatever you say to do, I'm pretty much just going to do that. Because nothing that I was struggling with was important enough to keep me from what God had for me there with her. And God's grace is like that. That we can, in our mind, say, I won't be defined by anything but God. Because he is beautiful and good. And a last word here, and it's to, it's to my overthinkers. Um, some of y'all that are overthinkers, and by some of y'all I mean like 90-something percent of y'all. And um, I love not overthinkers, because this is a school to chill. And, um, <laughs> but it's not that you think too much about stuff, because your mind is always thinking, thinking your thoughts. It's that the things that you dwell on are either not true or only kind of true. Um, back to the person that says, "Like I'm a failure." Uh, it, it, you dwell on your mind, the things I haven't done. I'm defining myself as my success. I failed. I haven't met the gift. I haven't met the standard I have for yourself. And what God is saying, being transformed by the renewal of your mind, is understanding that no, you're not. You're not a failure, not because you're good enough and smart enough and gosh darn people like you, but because in Jesus, you are complete. Because you don't get to decide your identity. Jesus comes and says, I will make you holy. I will make you acceptable and I will make you perfect. You are an adopted child of the living God. You're not a failure, but you have to dwell upon these things. You have to learn to abide on these things in your mind and you must learn to think God's thoughts after him. And just surrender to Him in that way, in what you dwell on in your mind. Because God is calling each of you tonight to give your life totally to Him, to surrender him, to Him. To not fight the current of His grace, but to allow yourself to be swept along by Him. And my promise to you, my challenge for you, is that in that you will find purpose and true authenticity. You may find out who you were meant to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we acknowledge that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, we long um, to be full-hearted at at anything. And thank you that you call us to give away everything to you, because we can trust you with it. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would teach us. Lord, we long to know um, how to not be conformed to the things that are oppressing and hurting us but to instead allow our minds to be transformed by you. Lord, help us to dwell on you to derive our dignity, our identity, and our significance from you. We plead with you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.